0: Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials,
1: or its staff.
2: Every Wednesday night, come listen to The Land of Aru, a show all about the award-winning high-fantasy audio series, Carcerum. Join Anthony Corona in listening to an episode of Carcerum with 360-degree sound design, a completely original score, and find yourself in the middle of an adventure filled with monsters, sword fights, and magic. After the episode, listen as Anthony interviews cast and crew members about their careers and the amazing process of Carcerum. That's The Land of Aru every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on ACB Media Stream 3 presented on ACB Media 3 in association with Shane Salk Productions and Sunday Edition.
0: Every week here on ACB Media 1, that's American Council of the Blind, Media 1, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week we'll dive into the news Human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind Community. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. And before I do anything else, I have two of the three guest hosts that filled in for me over the last couple of weeks here. And I want to say a huge, huge thank you to Sheila Young. Byron Lee and Andrea De Klotz, who is not with us, but um, you guys did some great work. Um, I listened to both shows and was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. But it really does feel good to be sitting back in the Sunday Edition driver seat. So thank you, Byron. Thank you, Sheila. So, so very much. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Um, I have a couple of announcements to start the show off with, but first and foremost, I want to encourage everybody out there, if you have not voted early or absentee, to please make your way to the polls on Tuesday. I won't ask anyone to vote in any specific way, but every vote and every voice counts, and this is this is one of those elections that we'll be talking about probably for the rest of our lifetimes. So I hope and encourage everyone to get out there and vote. Um, Byron, if you can run that announcement from Artist Bazin.
3: I'm Artist Bazin, the president of Ivy, which is the Independent Visually Impaired Entrepreneurs Organization of ACB. I wanted to introduce a brand new Event that we're having this year, we've never done an online expo before, but we do do a summer business expo at each in-person convention. We can use this during the holidays, especially, but for future also. What we're going to do is on November twelfth, from eleven forty-five a.m. to six p.m. We're going to allow presenters to tell about their products and services. They can also give people their contact information and ask for questions from participants. At the beginning of the segment, we will introduce the presenters that are gonna be presenting for the afternoon. And that way people can come in and out as they see fit for the Zoom link. The Zoom link will be the same for presenters and, participants. The cost is $10 for blind business owners who are IV members for one half hour and $20 for an hour. If a business owner is not a current member of IV for a half hour, it would be $25 and an hour $35. However, Ivy is trying to get new members, so if you're interested in becoming a member anyway, this would be a great opportunity for you to do it and save money on doing the Business Expo. We're looking forward to it. If you want to join us as a presenter or make sure you get the Zoom link as a participant, you can email info at ivy-acb.org or info at ivie-acb.org or you can give me a call 818-238-9321. Thanks.
0: Thank you, artist, and what a great way to highlight entrepreneurs in our community, especially during this holiday season. You know, we bid fast and furiously at the auction, but um, maybe we can support some of our fellow community members by uh, stopping by during the expo next Saturday. Um, I also I heard one of our BOP members come in. I also wanted to shout out and highlight the first member at the mic came out this week, and it is none other than Lucy Edmonds. It's a great little piece. Um, There's pictures, there's audio, as well as a transcript. So please, if you have not subscribed to ACB Voices, that is the blog please go check it out and check out Member at the Mic. And um, we've got a bunch of them that are already in production and ready to roll out. So look out for Member at the Mic over the next couple of months. We've got some great folks, a few of them on this call, actually, that um, we get to know a little bit more. We get to know them and and we get to know their ACB journey and, and whatever projects they may have that are outside of ACB. So as I said, that is ACB Voices. Um, Please go check that out. All right. I am usually not this enthused about a program that I'm not hosting or, you know, somehow a part of. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I am very, very excited to introduce something that's happening this coming Wednesday night. And I asked the person who brought the idea to life to come and talk for a few minutes about it. And I know Gabriel is already here. He may want to chime in and speak a little bit about it. But um, welcome, Debbie. Debbie Grubb.
1: Thank you all so much. I just want to say that I have had gay and lesbian friends since I was a little kid. I knew kids who grew up, and so it's been a natural part of my whole life. But I have to tell you that I blush to say that until recently, I did not realize how bad things were in the 20th century for people who chose to love And be with people that was not in a certain time, quote, the norm, quote, whatever in the world that means. And I read an article not long ago about the Stonewall Inn issue. And do you know, if you don't or if you don't remember, that as the last third of the 20th century dawned, people who chose to follow their hearts and live with people and love with people in a way that was not, quote, accepted, were considered mentally ill, were not allowed to sit in a bar and host a beer or a glass of wine with people that they cared about, were in fact (laughs) about ready to lose their jobs if it came out that they were living in a certain lifestyle. And so, What moves my heart and why I went to Anthony and practically begged him to do this, although there was a lot of begging, but I'm so passionate about this, I can't begin to tell you. As I have lived these years and have seen the history and have seen where people in the LBGTQ movement have gone, it seems to me that there might be some lessons that we who are also misunderstood. People with sensory impairments are some of the most as you well know, misunderstood people ever. And so I asked I asked Anthony if we could bring back some of our friends who have done programs and and one of my very first choices was Eric Marcus who does a phenomenal podcast on making gay history. What a storyteller he has. And so The first of our programs this Wednesday night at eight o'clock, will introduce Eric, who will talk to you about the beginnings of the movement and how it came to be. And you'll actually hear voices of people who changed history, many of them, sadly, who are no longer in the world, but whose legacy just lives on forever. And so I hope that these programs are ones that you will feel a need to publicize and a need to attend. And maybe we can learn something from these people. The final thing I wanna say is one of the things that touches my heart in such a major way that even back in the beginning, people risked it all. If their picture was, was flashed in a parade, They could lose their job and people came and they supported each other and they cared about each other and look at where on the bridge that that people have built where it has brought them is the is the work finished yet by no means but if we can see how far they've come and if we can take some of the planks of the bridge that they have built and make it our own so i i just hope that you can catch the vision for this and understand how crucially important it is that we learn from people who have been misunderstood and treated badly in in very many similar ways to us, people that, that would have been locked away or not cared about. And so, and not many years before that, unfortunately, as you all know, blind people were treated in such a manner. So please come, please tell your friends, and please let's learn together And be together and work together and build a bridge that will move us further on our our road, our avenue to being understood and to having our civil rights honored and met, and that our diversity and all that we are be understood and cared about, and that we can really begin to show even more how much we matter and what we can bring. So please come. I urge you, I entreat you. And (laughs) Anthony, Thank you so much for taking my idea and making it happen. I appreciate it so much.
0: Well, thank Gabriel as well, because she's done a lot of work for it. Gabe, did you want to say anything about um, lessons to be learned
4: um, starting on Wednesday? Well, I had, uh, it's funny how sometimes, hello, everyone. First of all, happy Sunday um, and happy fallback day. Um, <laughs> I love the extra hour of sleep. <laughs> I It's funny how I always thought of the similarities and sometimes how how things happened in the same way. And being a part of BPI has shown me uh, that uniqueness of the intersectionality of being both blind and part of the LGBTQ plus community. So I always talk about so many similarities and, and I've known it. But it took a visionary advocate like Debbie Grubb to point out, "Hey, they are they did something and and there are some things that the l g b t q plus movement did starting in the sixties uh that we could look into and learn from in terms of advocacy for our own community for blind and visually impaired so Again, thank you, Debbie, for that vision of, of having that vision of making this an actual series that we will be presenting during the next uh, few months. And uh, what better way, like Debbie said, than partnering with Eric Marcus, who is an authority uh, with his podcast, Making a History, who has documented and compiled not only um, information, but actual, like Debbie said, actual voice clips from the protagonists themselves of the movement. And 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 just, you know, listen in and take whatever we can take and whatever we feel valuable for our own advocacy efforts here in the American Council of the Blind and, and our local communities as uh, blind and visually impaired individuals. Absolutely. And,
0: you know, the one thing, that I'd like to impart on on this piece of conversation is I think a lot of folks don't realize that there's many different colors of the rainbow. And in those different colors, we don't always get along, though we do always stick together and we do always come together. And I think hearing you know, the actual voices of those that marched, those that were at Stonewall, those that were in Washington, D.C., you know, hearing those actual voices are really going to inspire a lot of people, or at least that's my hope. So, Debbie, thank you so much for coming on. Looking forward to Wednesday night. Um, Later on in our second hour, Mr. Tuesday Topics himself, Paul Edwards, is here. And I have to say, he gave an incredible... Um, presentation on resolutions at the Florida Council of the Blind Mid-Year Board Meeting last week. That's why I wasn't here for Sunday edition. Um, And it was so good that I asked him to come on Sunday edition and do a modified version of it. So that will be in our second hour. Gabriel is wearing two hats today. Um, He's one of the guests. And I also have Teresa. Teresa, would you like to introduce yourself and tell folks why you're here today?
5: Sure. My name is Teresa Gregg. I am a transformational relationship disability coach. I own my own coaching practice called Illuminate Your Way. My specific target niche is uh, those persons who have a disability and are wanting to work on their own personal relationship, a relationship with their partner, um, when to end it, how to end it, if you need to end it, where you need to go, how you need to do it. Um, I also coach couples who have kids with special needs and trying to re engage their strength as a couple so that they can co parent their family in a cohesive and effective manner. So I'm here today to talk about some coaching and coaching modalities that I find interesting.
0: That's awesome. And I definitely have a couple of questions for you, and I will open it up to our listeners as well. But going from illumination to a beacon, Gabe, um, why don't you talk a little bit about your coaching?
4: Well, my coaching practice, uh, I call it Be Your Own Beacon. And uh, I focus uh, on a career and relationships, but mainly from the perspective of coming from within. So uh, it's, it's typically known that sometimes we hear a lot of, you know, people who are tired of their job who it's it's a drag to get up in the morning and go to the job or um relationships uh, sometimes they're not happy with relationships with either it, whether it be marriage relationships with themselves relationship with a, a friend or or lack thereof relationships so what I do through the practice is hold that space and through powerful questions and through discovering that person's uh, unique set of values and what is important to them to be able to find, because many times we get so so drawn by what is expected by society, what, what, what our neighbors are doing, so we should be doing the same. And because they are, quote unquote, successful, then that means that we need to be doing something different than what we're doing. And then we quiet our inner voice. So it's uh, my practice is all about rediscovering that inner voice and becoming your own beacon, following what is within you, not what is outside. And uh, understanding that that's, you know, that's a road to being fulfilled. So
0: from both of your perspectives, I wonder if you could give our listeners a little bit of how coaching works and, you know, how coaching is not therapy. (laughs) How about we start with Teresa again?
5: Um, So coaching, I tend to approach it the same way Gabriel does. I think understanding your values is the most essential piece to building a foundation to understanding where your roots are, um, what your tribe is, how you want to be connected, how you want to communicate. So he is right. It is about finding that inner voice. It is about being still and enjoying each moment that you're in and maximizing it to uh, the most that you can get out of it. So understanding where you're coming from, where you want to go. I think Especially in today's world after COVID, I think communication plays a vital key in how our relationships exist or don't exist. So just understanding some of those fundamental things and being your best advocate for yourself. So coaching gives you that time and that space for you to become vulnerable, for you to explore who you are, who you want to be, and then how to get there. And we try to hold our clients um accountable. we give them that that space and that freedom to express it and get to know themselves again so that they can begin to move forward.
4: Gabriel I love uh what Teresa say said because I uh, you know definitely uh, follow that approach as well uh Coaching is uh, first of all, safe, uh, holding that safe space for the person, the clients to feel um, to feel good with being vulnerable, with expressing their thoughts and feelings that probably they cannot express elsewhere, uh, due to fear of judgment or fear of not being accepted. Um, also, the the practice of coaching actually um has it's it's one of the one of the most important aspects that I loved that I learned when I went into coaching um you know a lot of people told me um you give such good advice and you're such a good listener you would do great and when I went I was so excited and the first thing I learned that Coaches do not give advice (laughs) because then that defeats the whole purpose of coaching because coaching is allowing the person to discover their own advice. And and, and the way I like to to refer to it is like a coach at the gym. You know, a coach at the gym is not going to be lifting the weights for you. A coach at the gym is going to make sure that you're lifting the weights in the right way so that you build that muscle. So once you're outside of the gym, you have that muscle memory to lift those own weights. So basically, once you leave the coaching practice, I love to say that the best part of coaching is what happens when you're not during session, because that's when the actual muscles of that person are growing and taking whatever they learned about themselves through the coaching practice and take it and apply it in their day to day lives. And that be career, relationships job uh life satisfaction uh, mm-hmm. etc um the difference is uh with therapy i don't like to uh you know because i i only know about therapy what i've read what i've studied uh myself having been in therapy uh due to vision loss due to um sexual orientation uh coming out etc um what I know about therapy is that therapy does have a little bit more of a component of an advice from the therapist. The therapist kind of holds your hand and tells you where to go and how to go and kind of like directs you, which is their job. And also, uh, most times in ther- when you end up in uh, therapy, uh, therapy supposes or parts from the premise that there is something that needs to be fixed that there is a little flaw or a big flaw or something that needs to be changed or fixed. In coaching, we do believe that uh, we don't believe in things needing to be fixed or changed. We believe in movement. Uh, you're in point A and you want to get to point, point B. Uh, you have what it takes to move, to make that movement. Why are you not doing it? And allowing the client to discover why are they not doing it and how they will do it. And like Teresa said, holding them accountable, of course, to to uh, to make sure that that once they come back in the next session you see the progress because that's that's all that it is it's the progress and movement forward. I'm guessing that means homework, huh? <laughs> sometimes,
5: yes. Yeah. Yes, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> yeah.
0: So I, I'm fond of of telling folks that, you know, I have three voices in my head at all times, but I realize it really is only one voice, but it just takes on different tones and tonalities. Um is coaching something that, that helps you distinguish what the voice inside,
4: you know, can do for you or can be for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, Teresa, do you want to go?
5: No, you, you go and then I'll tag on to what you say. Go ahead.
4: Oh, okay. Perfect. Yes. I, I love when people bring up those voices because um, the most powerful of those voices are typically um, we call them saboteurs, oh. and it comes precisely from the yeah from the word, from the word sabotage uh, because uh, those inner voices mostly uh, you, you 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 hear them as friends as you know allies because you you they are preventing you oh don't take that risk why do you want to do that it's safe where you are right now. Uh, No, don't leave that relationship. What are you going to do by yourself? You know, so saboteurs tend to come across as voices who keep you uh, safe. But in reality, they are voices that are holding you back. And uh, it's important to recognize, you know, that's one of the things that um, we uh, help our clients understand to recognize when a voice is a saboteur and when a voice is holding them back from what they really want to do. Teresa.
5: And it, it's also a fine line with the saboteurs because originally you have saboteurs because they were protecting you at some point during your life. For example, I wouldn't call it a saboteur, but my my gremlin, we call them gremlin or villains when I'm working with little kids is I don't think I'm hurt. I'm, I'm never hurt. And of course, that stemmed from some childhood abuse and trauma. So in coaching, we tend to explore that. It's not so much like cognitive therapy where you go in there and you just repeat your story and symptoms over and over. We want to get to the root of it, but we want to get to the emotional root of it so we can help clear those emotions because all of your emotions are stored in in, in your body. So the trauma comes in the body and it has to go out of the body. So sometimes those saboteurs are put in place to protect you, say when you were a child, but then understanding them as you get older, how you can use them or not use them. For example, my top saboteur is being restless. I tend to jump from project to project because I have a lot of creativity. I have a lot of passion. I want to get my word out there. I want people to hear me. But then I tend to have 20 things going on at once and I might not get them all done to uh, my satisfaction. So, yes, understanding your saboteurs and when they can help you and when they tend to hinder you is important.
0: So I'm, I'm kind of taking a guess here, but I'm guessing that you also can learn to train or, or regroup your saboteur into a cheerleader.
5: Absolutely. And I, I tell all my clients and I'm guessing Gabriel will agree with me that you already have your own internal coach. You already have Mm -hmm. your own internal cheerleader. You just have to take the time to take a deep breath and to listen because your body has all the answers you need for your heart, your mind, your soul, whatever you're dealing with. As long as you can make that connection and through coaching, that's how we try to help our clients
4: rediscover that connection. So yes, totally oh, agree with, uh, I'm sorry, just totally agree with Teresa. Um, we, we, in coaching, we're always uh, you know, we're always in that space where our client has the answers from within. Uh, they already have the answers. It's just a matter of creating that muscle memory for them to be able to like Teresa said, understand which uh, voices are saboteurs that are hindering, and which voices are something else that can actually enhance their their movement forward. And you know, from there, we we create a whole set of of um, I don't want to say characters, but a whole set of categories for those voices. Like, for example, that voice that is the one that's really, really at the root of your heart, like in your, in the center of your chest, what's really, really waking you up every morning and moving you forward, that voice um, will become, for example, your captain. And you know that the captain is the one who is always in command. Uh, but then you may have other voices who support the captain. So, you know, you start, you start assigning them different roles so that way you understand how to maximize those voices and how to make them work for you and for your purposes. So
0: do you need to have a specific goal to, you know, to be effective with coaching? Or can it be something vague like, I just want to be more productive. I know there's more in me and I want to, I want to be more productive or something of that, you know, matter, you know more vagality
5: it can go either way as a coach we try to help you pinpoint to a specific goal because once you start uh, obtaining those simple goals and completing them you're going to gain more self confidence and be able to do some of that that on your own so yes they can be it can be vague but as coaches we try to Either plant the seed or get you to be a little more specific, so we can work on some of those goals and have action plans to get you to where you want to be. And sometimes it's pretty amazing in coaching. You may start out with one topic and you just went down a mm-hmm. whole nother road you didn't even know you had in you.
4: <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. couldn't agree more to this because yeah, sometimes you know uh, they come with uh, you know what we call a big agenda, which is like the big picture. That big agenda is, is just formed by by little activities and little things that build up to that big agenda. So, um, like Teresa said, what we try to do also is not only pinpoint those smaller activities or smaller components of the big agenda, but we also try to correlate and see uh, if you know and, and see if this is what they want to do. For example. Um, a, a small question or uh, a focus on a smaller item rather than the big agenda uh, will take a person to discover, why is this important for me? Is it really important for me? So from there, like Teresa just said, they may shift their perspective and said, you know what, actually, this is not so important for me. What I discovered is that this other thing is more important for me. So let's work on that.
0: So let's drill down a little bit more specifically into into your practices. Um, Gabriel, I'll start with you. You know, it's no secret the um, employment or lack of or trying to find is, you know, a huge part of our community. So what are a few things that coaching can help in, you know, either looking for or maintaining or finding better employment?
4: Well, that's as you know that has been one of my my projects. Uh, well, you would no one would know, but uh, in terms of uh, working with with many of my clients in in that regard uh, from the community of persons with disabilities, um, it's first understanding what is it that I want to do. So again, bringing it back to the person because. Uh, no, because the president of my local chapter is working at such and such place and, uh, they treat him or her really well and has a very decent salary. And, and I like, you know, the, the, the coaching goes into diving into, okay, so what do you know about that job? Um, what have you heard? Um, you know, can you investigate a little bit more? Is it something that you would really, that you really see yourself doing Monday through Friday? Um, and then from there, people start discovering first and foremost, what is it that they really want to do? What is it that is really at the core of their passion and at the core of their uh, vision for future in terms of employment, in terms of career? And uh, I also like to turn, you know, sometimes even change that language and change it from employment to career. And um, career gives it a little bit more onus more ownership for the client and uh, then from there saying okay what are you doing to build up to that career that you have envisioned already do you need a certificate do you need uh, further education Um, so you know they start discovering in the process of you know further education or further certificates or further getting ready for that career that they say that they want discovering that really that's not what they wanted they discovered something else along the path so it's like refining it's like fine-tuning fine-tuning until you're on the path the person is on the path towards where they want to go and they're sure of it their values are in alignment Uh, their body is telling them that this is what they want to do and from there the rest is a matter of building up on those voices and making sure that They don't doubt themselves in an interview, that they are able to not sound apologetic uh, because of a disability, to be able to present their better selves and to be able to show how much passion they have and how much they will bring to this organization or to this practice by being a part of them. So um, it's a build-up process and, and and it's really transformational. I find it. That that's the best word that I can find because sometimes we're, we're just driven by sometimes dollar signs or uh, histories of quote-unquote success, and we forget about what we really want to do and who we really are and what are the values that are guiding our life and what are the values by which we want to live every day, Monday through Friday. Wow, that's great. So
0: stick around, Gabriel. We're going to open it up for questions in a little while. Um, Teresa, I have to ask you a sidebar question because it, it came to me when you were doing your introduction. Um, I, I would imagine also when you're working with parents uh, of, that may have a disabled child, that it also would come out to the balance if they have multiple children, you know, and only one of the children is disabled, the balance in parenting as well, right?
5: Oh, absolutely. It is all about balancing and setting boundaries and setting good um, and achievable expectations for all of your kids including your uh, child who is disabled but then maintaining your relationship as parents because if you don't have that strength then the kids are going to pick up on that whether you think they are or not so having a strong bond between the parents whether they are in the same household or they're divorced or separated, is so vital for the success of that family and that uh, student or child with a disability.
0: So Teresa, tell me what is tapping?
5: (laughs) So um, I am getting certified. It's called the emotional freedom technique. Uh, Generally it's referred to as tapping. So we are tapping on certain meridian points on your body during our coaching session. And it is, the, it is the art of the, bio, the body and mind coming together and being able to release those emotions that are stored in your energy systems, whether they're stored in your, your different chakras or in your lymphatic system. And sometimes you might not even know why you have that particular memory until we start tapping. So for example, my niche is sex and intimacy. Um, I have a passion for that because that is such a taboo topic in the disability field, no matter what disability it is. It is rarely discussed, especially at, you know, below college level um, students. So I'm working with a person now and they wanted to increase their, their sex and their intimacy. So we start out and we discuss what are those definitions? What do those terms mean to that particular client? Um, Are there anything getting in the way of religion, cultural disability, um, childhood trauma, anything like that? So once we can get an event, then we can start tapping on different meridian points and repeating, uh, we call it a setup statement. So you're tapping on the side of your hands, on the top of your head, on the inside of your eyebrows, on the outside of your eyebrow, all down through your face. And that like resets your body's emotional barometer for you can let some of that out. And you don't verbally have to keep retelling the story over and over because now you have that ability to release that emotion so you can move on to something bigger and better. Wow. Does that make and sense? <laughs>
0: It does. And, and I know you and I had a conversation. Um, I, I'm someone who struggles with sleep. And mm-hmm. I think part a part of it is my racing mind, et cetera, so you know it it also brings beneficial to you know areas of your life as well.
5: oh yeah, and with tapping you can tap on anything cravings, weight loss, relationships, sex drive, sleeping, um chronic pain um you you name it, you name it we we can tap on it. But again, in tapping, we give homework. We usually have you come up with specific events. So, say if your main emotion is shame, then we have you write down all those events that caused you some type of shame when you're thinking back on it, and then we tap through those emotions and see where where it leads.
0: All right, let's uh, let's turn to our host Sheila and see who might have some questions for you. Sheila, do we have any hands?
2: Jane, go ahead. A couple of things. When I, um, I'll just do tapping because that's the most recent. It's amazing as a person who has done a fair to middling amount of work getting at some of these things. How I've learned that I automatically go to certain parts of my own body when I want to relieve stress and get at something. Um, yes. I find you know I I go to. I go to my hands, my wrists a great deal. I go to my feet. And every once in a while, I'll just tap my head and go, clear out the garbage, please. That's one thing. So I I think a lot of us, um, I, I suspect that a lot of us may be doing some elemental stuff, but we don't even know that's what we're doing until somebody like you, Teresa, points it out and says, hey we can go further. And then coming back to opening up language, people have so little language to really speak their being or their issues into being. When I think, and I want to say, turning back to voices, um, the voices may be inarticulate, they may be I don't know the right word. I I know the voices I have in my heart and life are very specific. Um, And they don't, I don't always have one captain. It depends on the issue, what what I see going on. Some of the voices are things like age, disability, Mm -hmm. culture, race, ethnicity, a, a whole string of things. There are 30 of them. And sometimes they're just like having this big congressional meeting. <laughs> and my mind has to sit back and that roll. And 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 I can do that now at this point in my life. In my family of origin growing up, the question of the day always was, well, Jane, or my brothers or my sisters, what's on the schedule for you? And how grateful I am today, finally, at age 75, I can say, I'm available. And wow. to have some peace of mind about mm-hmm. that, that's pretty,
5: pretty huge. Pretty, that's pretty... some great self-awareness. Yeah. Anthony, can yeah. I say something? Absolutely. So just, just to give our, our listeners some helpful hints. So if you ever get to the point and you're in the middle of a situation and you're having mm-hmm. these voices And maybe they're not doing you any good, is to take a timeout. So if you start concentrating on tapping your fingertips together, or if you don't like tapping on your fingertips on the side of your hands or on the top of your thighs, those are some really good uh, stress points there, or humming. Humming is a great release of energy to help you get refocused to where you want to be going. So there are some.
2: That was was the, the next thing I really wanted to say was.
0: Did we lose, Jane? All right. Well, thank you, Jane. Um, Sheila, do we have any other hands?
6: Nope, not at this time.
0: All right. Well, one thing I definitely want you guys to do is give out your information, illumination and beacon. <laughs> Go ahead, Teresa.
5: Um, so you can reach me. It's going to be a long email. It's Teresa at... Your way.com So it's T-E-R-E-S-A at lumine is L-U-M-I-N-E Your way.com My phone number is 402-980-9980. And um we usually, well, in my coaching practice, I give a 15 free-minute consult to see if we can work together. Um, And then I also give an additional 30 minute discovery session, especially for my tapping program as a student to see what we want to work on. And there is no charge for those two.
0: Awesome. All right, Gabriel.
4: All right. So um, you can uh, I have a couple of ways you can reach me. You can either go to my website, which is www.beyourbeacon.com. And that is, you know, just as it sounds, b e y o u r, b e a c o n, dot com. My email address is gabriel at beyourbeacon dot com. And uh, is it okay to give the cell phone number or contact Bus- number? Yeah, your business number is fine. Business number? Well, well, I'm I'm just gonna stick to those two because I don't have a business number. I use my cell phone. <laughs> but Gabriel at beyourbeacon.com is where you can find me.
0: And of course you can always use the Sunday edition AC at Gmail address. And I can um, link you up with either of these two fine coaches. Um, do you guys want to give any final thoughts or a
4: final pitch for your services? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I would like to say, um, just like Teresa, uh, it's you know, it's it's a common practice that we learn from our from our trainers and our you know who are amazing, amazing have decades of experience under their belt. And uh, there's you know, uh, practice of also um, that first uh, how Teresa calls it the discovery session. We call it either discovery or exploration. Is so important first to discover fit and to find out uh, more about the person and for the person to find out more about us as coaches. So yes, I also uh, follow the same um, pattern of that first session. mentor. And uh, what we, what, what I seek to do in, in my coaching practice is to add value to your life is, it's not just to uh, make one thing happen and then, that's you know you you disappear or from my radar or you or I disappear from your radar is adding value to your life and um, always 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 upholding you and and in um, my practice uh, I have three kind of cornerstones uh, that I learned throughout my studies and my certification that I will always hold you as my client um, naturally creative resourceful and whole so that is just how i want to close to make sure that everyone knows that uh it, it, it all comes back to center it all comes back to you to yourself
5: Very nice, all right Rosa gabriel
4: I- i'd Teresa. like to say
5: passion i just i would love for people to find their passion whether it's as in their relationship job but whatever whatever they need in the blindness community in the sighted world, I think we all need a little more passion and a little more hope. And that's what I would like to offer people that come to me. So thank you for this opportunity, Anthony. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for for joining us. You know, before you go, I definitely one thing that stood out to me when you were when you, you were both giving your introductions and, and throughout the conversation. Um, I love the idea of of working on your relationship with yourself, um, a, and and Absolutely. I would imagine again, you know, I'm I'm with Gabriel, so I I get secondary kind of um, information through him, but I, I I would imagine that you know the working on oneself makes working on everything else just a bit easier, um, and just a you know a bit more fulfilling.
5: Absolutely. Um,
4: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right, let's take one more look and see if there are any hands.
6: No, there aren't.
0: All right. Well, then, I hope you get a bunch of folks at be your (laughs) beacon and I'm sorry, luminate the way,
5: is it? Luminate your way. It's Latin for light, light your way, illuminate your way. I did it because it rhymed. I like the way it flowed. So, illuminate your way.
0: all right well thank you for joining sunday edition today i hope you get some uh some good folks that will come your way for some great coaching and um
4: thank, thank you, you for all. having us you later. anthony yeah <laughs> and thank yeah. you teresa it was a thanks, pleasure Gabriel. to share this space with you and uh let's connect
5: awesome sounds good thanks guys
4: thank you all thanks, right anthony. Bye. thanks Thanks, everyone. Um, I'm going to switch to the A-Lady now for the rest of Sunday <laughs> edition. <laughs> and you're in excellent hands. You're in the expert hands of Mr. Resolution himself. So you're in for a treat. <laughs> yes, again.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa, as well. Well, fellow ACB Media show host. And um, wow, I guess I guess that moniker Mr. Resolution himself might uh, might end up sticking. I know that um, many of us around the country reach out to um, Mr. Paul Edwards if we're considering a resolution or to maybe look at it and suggest edits, etc. But um, he gave a, a, let's use the word illuminating. I like that. He gave an illuminating presentation (laughs) last week. And so welcome back to Sunday edition, Paul.
7: Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. And um, hello, Miss Host, Miss Sheila. How are you?
6: Hey, Paul, I'm good. How
7: are you? I am well. Um, I, 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 I just have to ask, I, I, I don't think I'll get an answer now, but um, I, I, I find Gabriel's um, four-letter moniker interesting, be your own beacon. I, I always knew that phrase as uh, bring your own bottle.
0: <laughs> i i and i I have to stop myself from thinking about bacon every time he says it, so I guess it evokes something different in all of us.
7: <laughs> you know bacon goes with everything as far as it I'm does, concerned it does
6: bacon.
3: yeah
7: be your own bacon yeah as in <laughs> as in Francis <laughs> well. Paul, I'm hoping that you
0: can um, start out by and someone asked before we came on air if you can talk about what happens after the resolution is actually passed. But I'm hoping you can start out by telling us why, you know, what are the reasons to actually craft a resolution?
7: I think. I think that there are there are a few reasons, and, and when I did my presentation in, in Florida, I talked about some of those, and let's list five. Um, the first reason is because you want to put down on paper uh, a policy that you want the organization to follow. So there have been resolutions that the American Council of the Blind has passed that relate to what our attitude towards civil rights is. Um, not necessarily about a particular bill, but our attitude towards civil rights, or our Attitude towards um, towards dealing appropriately with folks from uh, minority groups. Um, these aren't these aren't resolutions that call for us to take action. Instead, they're resolutions that kind of create a spot for the organization second kind of resolution or the second aim of a resolution um, is to identify a problem and suggest solutions and that's the most common one Um, so um, we believed um, in a resolution that we just passed um, in florida uh, that uh, both local uh, county authorities who handle elections and the state division of elections um, are not doing a good job of providing training to folks with disabilities. And so we wrote a resolution that actually says they're not doing a good job, so they need to provide more training. And, um, and but it, it went beyond that because we also said that our executive committee um, ought to uh, develop Uh, a document that they could share uh, along with uh, other, other organizations within FCB with local chapters so that they'd know how to interact appropriately with their, with their local County supervisor of elections. So that's a good example of the second kind of uh, resolution. A third kind of resolution uh, is, is one uh, that, that, Often uh, doesn't even have or or shouldn't need um, whereas clauses and these are resolutions that a lot of people see at the time when you're uh, you're doing things like um, celebrating White Cane Safety Day and mayors of. of Entities often present these quote proclamations unquote, but they are really presented in the form of resolutions. So, you know the, the you know uh, whereas um, the Florida Council of the Blind is the coolest organization of blind people God ever built, and whereas
3: <laughs>
7: <laughs> and whereas um, whereas the the um, that organization has done a tremendous amount to ensure that people who are blind in the state of Florida um, live more productive and effective lives. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, the mayor of uh, Puddleboro, Florida, do hereby designate um, the October fifteenth as uh, Florida Council the Blind White Cane Safety Day. Um, so that kind of resolution is really just intended um, to, to to take a couple of of reasons why we should celebrate something, and then to officially proclaim that we're going to celebrate. Um, so a, a fourth kind of resolution is is one uh is one that is used uh, for the most part um to endorse a particular situation or to celebrate or to thank And we write these resolutions to our hotels and to our volunteers and to others like that. And the reason we write these this way is because what we want to actually do is in a more formal way than we could with a letter, we want to say thank you so much for for what you've done. But not only are we saying thank you in a a letter that might be signed by our president, important though Ms. Young's signature might be, um, what we're what we are saying is this is not just a letter that's signed by our president. This is a uh, a document which has been adopted by the group as a whole and typically unanimously, which which these thank you resolutions usually are. So essentially, when it's presented to the workers at a hotel or to or to um, the volunteers who've helped during a convention. It's not, it's not just a letter that says, thanks you guys, we really appreciate it and said it's a, it is a formal assertion by the organization as a whole that we, that we really appreciate all the work that you've done so much that we're incorporating it in, as part of our whole meeting itself. Um, so wow. that's cool. Um, So anyway, that that that's an overview of the kinds of, of of resolutions we have and the kinds of reasons that we have. Um, There was a fifth one, but Mona, I'm not thinking of what the fifth kind was. So you'll pop it back in when it comes to you. I'm sure you know, I will.
0: Like, before we get into the fun part of this, I wanted uh-huh. to ask you: Why do you think
7: resolutions scare so many folks? Well, I I I think part of the reason is that it's so easy to write a bad resolution. <laughs> um uh, you know if you if 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 you think about the the number of bad resolutions that have been written every everyone and everywhere there are an awful lot of them resolutions that are too long resolutions that try to incorporate too much resolutions that have resolved clauses that have about as much chance of being carried out as uh, as as my painting the mona lisa Um, and believe me, there's very little chance of that. Um, so uh, I think the other reason that people are afraid is because a resolution asks folks to use language in a very precise way. Um, Mm. and, and the whole point of a resolution is to find a concise and effective and efficient way of, of essentially seeing what is the problem that you're trying to deal with and what's the solution that you're proposing? And those are really the two halves of resolution, the whereas clauses and the resolve clauses. All right, we're going to need a volunteer for this next part, right? Yeah, we, we could use our host if she wants.
0: <laughs> Sheila, are you up for being our, our um, on-the-spot guinea pig again? Sure, why not? <laughs> All right. Now tell us, you know, in the form of, of resolution, you know, type number two, tell us how to craft a good resolution, Paul
7: well uh, first first we need a, we, we need a subject so um, she, Sheila's subject was 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 uh, was a, a little impossible because um, because essentially we we know that it wasn't true, but her resolution essentially said that she she was only going to work two hours a day and had to eat um as president of fcb um and 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 so essentially that's not a resolution we'd pass because we know she's supposed to work 22 hours a day and is not supposed to eat because she's (laughs) supposed to be losing weight so so but but sheila could probably come up with something else that she thinks might be worthy of a resolution then we could take it apart oh boy Um... Yeah, it could be anything. Just and 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 you don't have to do it in the form of resolution. Just well, that's a good thing because I can't.
6: <laughs> <laughs> let's see. The problem is, um, um, particular websites are not accessible for screen readers using okay. screen readers.
7: Yeah, very good. And the solution would be that you know. Well, let's we'll, we'll explore the. Okay, so the problem is that websites are not accessible to screen readers. So the first thing that we have to do is 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 to define that problem more. I mean, we could write a resolution that says, you know, whereas um, many um, many sites, many websites are inaccessible to screen readers, Um, but but if that's all we say. People are important. probably going to be napping. Mm-hmm. So so what's, I can actually ask Anthony, so what's what's important to add to this, Anthony, in terms of something something that would get people's attention and something that would make your resolution sell better?
0: Uh, I would think drilling it down to a specific piece, like maybe saying recaptures. Um, on most websites,
7: yeah captchas are pretty minor and though um, but we could, yeah, I mean that's certain that's certainly one one of the approaches is to drill down to um to specific problems that the websites have. so captchas would be one um, uh, on, the thing on, on the-
6: accessing a paste dub.
7: Forward, yes, forward. sure. Yes, right. Or or apps that's accessing certain components that are available to everybody else on the website that aren't available to you, and identifying what that what that particular element is. Um, for instance, in, on the state of Florida websites that employees use, um, the, the the section that allows them to look at their pay stubs and establish how much leave they have is in fact not fully accessible at the moment, and they've. They have, as a solution um, introduced a telephone line that can be called um, to get access to that information but it's it that is not a solution it it is a uh, it's a patch and it's not an appropriate patch and it doesn't deal with the fact that and and this is another point by the way that we would probably want to put in our problem that having this inaccessible, an inaccessible website operated by the state is a direct violation of Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's a point. So you would want to incorporate that as as one of your as one of your whereas clauses or as one of your reasons why you're writing this resolution. Um, Because the Americans with Disabilities Act, as as everybody knows, was passed in 1990. And most of the regulations were passed or available by 1992 or 1993. So clearly, 30 years later, um, the state of Florida has had lots of time to make, it, to make its stuff accessible. So, so that's another element. So we've talked about drilling down. We've talked about also identifying, um, uh, identifying what rights, if you like, the folks who want to access this website have, and, and, and they have a right based on the law. What else? What else could we? What else could we point to? E- e- either of you two? What else could we point to that that um, that might be important?
6: What about applying for positions? Um,
7: that- yeah, uh, I, I think that's important. So one of the things that you can include in your whereas clauses is areas that the inaccessibility of websites impact. Um, and, and notice how I am taking your particular thing and generalizing it, because that's what you tend to do in resolutions in order, in order to establish whether or not it's something that's worth, that's worth having. So the clause that you might write with regard to that is, um, uh, whereas the, the, the the element of the state's website which uh, is utilized for applying for positions um, uh, cannot be used effectively by people who are blind or have low vision Um, and once you've once you've written that it's clearly defined another another area where the state website doesn't work and and you could actually um, y- y- you could actually identify another one if you wanted to in, in terms of the state of Florida, because the the segment that uh, allows uh, an individual who is blind to be a vendor for the state—that's not a not a vendor for the Division of Blind Services, but a vendor that is somebody who sells or buys things from the state of Florida—is not accessible either. Um, so you you could incorporate that. So, we now probably have enough reasons why this is important. Enough reasons why we want to do something. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I think so. But I, I do have a question. Would you want Go. to work into one of the clauses that the patch is actually inequitable because we need we that it requires another person to be part of our you know our journey in the website and, or
7: uh. or applying or.
6: Well, and it, to I, me, I, that's pro-
7: violating privacy. Right, it is, but I probably wouldn't add it, um, and I, and I wouldn't add it because you have to be. I, I think one of the things that's wrong with with a lot of resolutions is they try to get too particular. Um, and when you try to get too too particular, what you're doing is you're you're using. Uh, you're using a whereas clause uh, to 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 say something that's true, to say something that's important, to say something that's valid. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask yourself how much is it adding to your your the the your ability to sell this resolution. But you also have to ask uh, another question: is what is more important, uh, writing a resolution that people are going to read, or writing a resolution that gets so long that people won't read it? Mm-hmm. And you can always use that
0: supporting um, information in it and the cover letter that would go along with it.
7: You absolutely can, and and we'll talk about the cover letter if we have time. Um, so anyway, that's that's the first half of that resolution. So we've 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 got lots of reasons why. Um, why it, it, there, we would like to see something done uh, about uh, uh, websites in the state of Florida that are inaccessible. Um, but there's one element that we haven't talked about that becomes really important. Um, because if you're, if you're taking a, or if you're requesting a particular action, um, and in this case we are, you also have to incorporate in the whereas clauses some of the history that's that's been involved. So, uh, whereas the American Council, or whereas the Florida Council of the Blind, has worked closely with uh, various state departments and various experts in the state computer system um, to try to negotiate changes that would make the websites of the state of Florida more accessible, and whereas. Um, Some 12 years ago, uh, the state of Florida uh, indicated they no longer wish to discuss this matter with us. And whereas, as a result of that, the Florida Council of the Blind filed a complaint with the Department of Justice uh, asking that... um, asking that the Department of Justice investigate the inaccessibility of Florida's websites under Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So that history then gives everybody a clear idea. So now you have the reasons why the website's inaccessible, but you also have a clear indication that the Florida Council of the Blind has worked closely and effectively with, with um, the state of Florida to try to resolve the issue um, and then has filed a complaint with the Department of Justice. So that's the history. So I think we're now ready for the resolve clauses. So what what... What might we be resolving in this resolution? Hmm. An independent review
0: by folks that are blind and low vision to no um, that they would uh, be that they would be utilized. I think that's fine. I think that's
7: fine, except that we except that we already know the website's pretty screwed up. Or that the websites are pretty screwed up, and and we could go a lot further. You know, we could we could talk about databases that that um, the state of Florida has introduced that have caused blind people jobs. We could, uh, we, I mean, there are just all kinds of things about the uh, about the the computer interface that the states created um, that have made it inaccessible. So. Um, So, uh, while I think what you're suggesting is is certainly an appropriate thing to do earlier on in the process, I think we're past that point now. Okay. So, what do we do?
6: Find a company that knows what they're doing and get them to work it.
7: No. Make, we can't afford to pay him. And, 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 and we certainly don't have any indication that the state of Florida will pay him because they've essentially told us to go to hell.
0: Well, that's true. What about the
7: complaints with the Department of Justice? Did we have that's that's the point, sir. Quite right. All so right. what about the complaint? Um, we made it, we know it was received. Um Essentially, it, it has not been acted upon, and and by the way, that's pretty typical of, of the of, of the current Department of Justice, whether we're talking about whether we're talking about the Trump administration or the Biden administration. Unfortunately, um, uh, which means that 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 politically, it doesn't seem to matter. Um, whether Republicans or Democrats are in power, there 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 is an unwillingness to to drill down and handle a lot of the complaints um, that are being that are being sent into the Department of Justice. Yeah, we're finding that with guide dog issues as well. So we we know that this complaint was actually lodged probably ten or eleven years ago. So clearly, it's time that we heard something. So. Probably one of the one of probably the the major resolve clauses is is um, is is essentially to send a letter to the Department of Justice saying, hey, uh, we filed this complaint 11 years ago. You indicated that you received it. What the hell is going on?
6: We we would like response within 60 days or something to that effect
7: i I think that's right and 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 it's really important for 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 you to put or 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 to try to include um elements that are um that are clear and tangible you know so that the result that the the resolve clause should probably say the executive committee of the Florida council of the blind shall be responsible for sending this letter so that um, clearly a resolution that's written by the membership of the Florida council of the blind, assuming that's who's writing this resolution, has the right to tell the executive committee what to do. Um, (laughs) May not like it, but we have the (laughs) right to do it. Um, And so, um the, the the resolution can and 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 does suggest that that's what they ought to do um and and then it would it, you know could have gone further it could have said it you know if you haven't heard in 60 days you know what do you do next seek legal action i think that's i think that's that's probably what that's probably what would be the the most logical thing <clears throat> and and the question is does that legal action belong with uh, uh essentially uh a request for the department of justice or does it belong with um with with suing the state of florida um way back when um, just just for history um, we we looked about struct- we looked at structured negotiation and talked with some lawyers about whether they'd be prepared to do that and they indicated that they would not um, I, but it, it wasn't because we didn't have a case it, it was because um, there was nothing that they that that lawyers who are working on structured negotiation in some of these cases would would be able to gain either for themselves or or as a return because they were dealing with a public entity and so um it it makes it interesting hmm. um, but but anyway that's that's an idea of, of, of how you take a resolution and turn it uh, from uh, a, an idea that you want to get across into a pretty workable document that is strong enough and appropriate enough. And as Anthony says, you always accompany a resolution with a cover letter. And that cover letter is important because it gives you the opportunity to include things that you didn't want in the resolution um, because it would make it too long. Uh, and it also gives you an opportunity to clearly pinpoint um, ways that you can be contacted, uh, ways that um, uh, other, other elements that, that aren't in the resolution. Um, but, but also, it gives you an opportunity to set a tone that the resolution should be read with. So, uh, you know, a, a cover letter should always be kind of warm and fuzzy. If you can manage to write it that way, um, and and should reach out to that person and 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 try to encourage them to regard your resolution in an appropriate way. So, but and we couldn't write a warm and fuzzy letter to the state of Florida because there is nothing warm and fuzzy about the way they've interacted with us, which is why, which is why we're writing a warm and fuzzy letter to the Department of Justice instead. <laughs> <laughs> So there. All right. So going back to
0: the question that came up before we, we went on air today, what happens with a resolution
7: once it's passed? It, 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 it depends on three major things. The first thing it depends on is how you write the resolution. If if you if you write the resolution, one of the things that you can do if you choose is to is to drill down as we did with this resolution and say who is supposed to do what when, uh, and and, and when they when they expect to hear something back. And 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 that's what we did with this resolution. But a lot of resolutions, particularly the policy ones, um don't don't usually have uh, any any immediate requirement of what you have to do. But I think it's important to recognize that resolutions are the very center of what an organization stands for. So if you pass a resolution as the Florida Council of the Blind or as the American Council of the Blind, you're in effect saying, this is who we are. This is where we stand. This is what we want. And it ought to be important for the staff and or the leaders of the organization that have to implement that resolution to do something with it. And if they don't, and they sometimes don't, then there ought to be some kind of recourse that members have or that the organization has um, to, um, to deal with with the fact that the resolution has been worked on and has passed and has essentially sat in somebody's outbasket and had nothing done with it. So one of the things that, that organizations have done the Florida council of the blind uh, is, is certainly probably going to think about this. And the American council of the blind has already to a degree done it is to require the leaders of the organization to, Um, to look at the resolutions on a regular basis. So there was a a board motion passed or an ACB resolution. And I can't actually remember which um, some 10 or 12 years ago that said that at every board meeting, um, uh, the staff was required to report on how they were doing in terms of implementing resolutions. Um, And I think, it's important to have something like that because it ensures that, that you're not wasting your time writing a resolution um, and, and that you expect that resolution to actually have some impact and 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 at least be followed through with by whoever's responsible for doing that. In the case of the Florida Council of the Blind, it would be our executive committee. Um, but an, another thing that, um, that should happen, Uh, I think, uh, is that perhaps every convention, there should be a report from the executive director or from the president uh, about what's happened with each of the resolutions. You know, in Florida, we don't pass that many. Um, So maybe three or four at a convention, if you exclude the thank you resolutions, and three at our board at our board meeting so maybe seven that the president would have to report on and that's not too onerous um and 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 I think it's it's pretty easy to report but it's up to the membership i think um to clearly and, and unequivocally demand that they know what's happened to the resolutions that they have spent their time working on during a convention or a board meeting so yeah
0: so we heard a lot this year about prioritizing them and and giving them you know a a priority label or to to use layman's terms so um can you talk to us a little bit about you know what goes into it, how they prioritize how the leaders of the organization prioritize
7: well uh, um i'm uh, it, it, it it used to be um an interactive process where someone from the resolutions committee uh and a board liaison that was a part of the resolutions committee and often the executive director uh, would meet before the post-convention board meeting Um, and and we're talking about acb here obviously and they would make a decision about what the priorities of each of the resolutions that were passed were and they would be presented to um, the post-convention board meeting now the post-convention board meeting doesn't exist anymore um, and usually there's not a board meeting until the, the, the end of August now, but there is still, um, uh, an effort made, uh, for, for a group of folks to get together. And I don't honestly know what that group of folks includes, um, and, um, create resolutions, priorities. And there are typically three priority levels. Um, the first priority level are things that can either be done immediately, like a thank you resolution uh, or or um, a, 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 a praise resolution, too. I mean, we often write resolutions that congratulate uh, special interest affiliates, for instance, uh, for being 50 years old or something like that. And they're perfectly appropriate. But there's no reason why they can't be dealt with right away so those those will be priority ones, and also uh, resolutions that that are considered to be of paramount importance and and that need to be acted on right away. Some of those involve um, getting immediately the 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 whole power of the organization behind a particular piece of legislation or something like that you don 't want to wait to do that because the sooner you can get that information out there, the more the, the more likely Probably it is gonna that it's going to have some impact. Yeah. So the second priority level, level is, is a level that isn't immediate, but what it does require uh, is some opportunity to develop an appropriate cover letter has a particular goal in view. Um, and, and therefore um needs to be dealt with pr- relatively quickly, but it, but it, but it isn't so crucial that it happened right away. Um, a good example of this is a resolution that we passed, um, say three years ago, at the American Council of the Blind level, where we asked uh, the National Library Service to consider taking over, um, producing the Reader's Digest in Braille, as the American Printing House had decided they weren't gonna produce it anymore so uh, in in that particular case, um, the we passed a resolution, the American Council of the Blind got in touch with the Braille Revival League um, and we worked together on a on on a cover letter that would go along with the resolution. We sent it in and um, just just to give you an idea that resolutions sometimes do pay dividends, um, we heard a month later uh, that. The National Library Service has agreed to our resolution and took over producing the Reader's Digest Braille, which is very exciting, um, and and it means that resolutions that you pass can sometimes have an immediate and an appropriate and an effective impact. And the yeah, third, you
0: helped BPI write one that also dealt with the NLS and, and had an almost
7: immediate impact as well. It did. And, and and that was to identify clearly um, books that, that were LGBT uh, slash Q um, and that were available through NLS and, and also to do a, a little bit of subcategorization and make sure that it was clear which were intended for for teens and young adults in which were attended for adults and that kind of thing. And, um, I was actually surprised at ac- how many books there actually were in the collection. I did, I had no idea there were as many as there are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was exciting. Yep. And the, the um, the third kind or the third resolutions, pr- uh, priorities are those that don't require uh, immediate action, but, but that may require ancillary actions or actions that relate to them. So so let's suppose we passed a resolution with regard to treatment of minorities. What we would expect the leadership of the American Council of the Blind to do is to say, these are the policies that the membership have adopted. So... What kinds of changes do we need to make in the way that we run our organization in order to come into line with the position that this resolution, which has been passed by the organization, requires us to take? So it might mean, for example, that optional membership information uh, about... um, Racial status and and uh, heritage and that kind of thing would be incorporated into uh, in into the membership form over a period of time. So those are but those are the changes that get made because a new policy or a policy that's different has been adopted. You know, we've written policy resolutions, for example, with regard to minimum wage and sheltered workshops, and what. What the purpose of those uh, resolutions has been um, is, is to guide our organization in terms of the way that w- they interact with other folks. Our position is not the same uh, in, in this particular case as that of the National Federation of the Blind. Um, we, we, we think it's not as important for us to be concerned about Um, problems that exist in sheltered workshops for other disabled people. And we focus most of our attention on ensuring that organizations with blind employees or or blind people who are working there um, uh, do as much as they can to ensure that we're not using sub-minimum wage certificates. And and so that's a a good example of, of how a policy resolution will eventually result in in a clarification for the staff or for the leadership of the organization on how they should handle a particular issue.
0: So I want to ask you about, you know, we had a very healthy resolution season this year with the American Council of the Blind um, and and a few stood out, but one that I think brought a lot of confusion um, was the providing audio description at, you know, for all performances across the board in a resolution like that, I guess it would obviously be prioritized, at, you know, at a level three, um, because how, you know, how do you actually propose a solution like that? So, so what is the value of, of passing a resolution that, you know, can't actually be enacted?
7: I think it's a pretty good question. Uh, um so let me let me first start out by by talking about the rules that operate for um, for ACB. Um, as long as a resolution has been presented to the resolutions committee, unless that resolution is with, is withdrawn. Um, by the maker of the resolution, it is required to go to the floor of ACB. So the resolutions committee at the American Council of the Blind level doesn't really have any choice. And essentially, we take we take the same position um, within the Florida Council of the Blind at our resolutions committee meetings. Um, what what we what we'll often do, and what we did um, during the, the ACB. Um, meetings was was to talk about um, why why we felt like this resolution was not necessarily a good idea, but once the resolution, uh, once the resolution went forward the way that it did, um, it was most likely to be passed by the membership because of two reasons. And, and I'm going to come back to talk about something else in a minute. Um, one of the reasons one of the reasons, is there is an assumption, and I think it's made by the Florida Council of the Blind as well, that our resolutions committee has taken a good look at a resolution if we're sending it forward and recommending it due pass. Um, uh, and, and I think, and And I think the second reason is there's is a belief on the part of most of our members that something that's gone through the resolutions committee process um, has this the support of <clears throat> the leadership of um a c b or f c b where wherever it's coming forward from, and that's not necessarily the case so uh, The point that I wanted to make is the resolutions committee does have an ability to impact the way that other people feel about resolutions by having three choices in terms of what they can do with a resolution once they get it. I said it has to go to the floor, but it can go to the floor with one of three recommendations. Recommendation number one is to pass, and that's what we have for most resolutions, period. Recommendation number two is no recommendation. That is, we don't we don't endorse this resolution. Um, we're sending it forward because we're required to send it forward. What that, what it means with when we send a resolution forward with no recommendation is that it can't even be debated unless it is moved by someone uh, on on the floor of the convention or who has the right to move it as a member and seconded, and uh, in effect. Uh, Uh, once that motion and second has been made then the resolution gets treated um, like any other and the third option is we can and have in the past uh, recommended a do not pass if 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 we've made every effort to persuade somebody to withdraw a resolution that we absolutely all agree is just not appropriate um, uh, we we can send it forward with the recommendation that it not pass Uh, we sent one resolution forward this year the american council of blind resolutions committee with no recommendation and that was the resolution having to do with capitalization and braille but um I, so there is some ability to make to make some appropriate decisions about uh what you can do with resolutions and 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 how you deal with them to make sure um that that they receive the the uh, treatment they deserve. Um, in terms of in terms of the resolution that you're particularly talking about, I think it would have been better to couch it as a policy resolution that we believe that this is what, Ought to happen in a perfect world, in the best of all possible worlds, and that we ought to be working in this direction, and we ought to be working towards this objective. But, but the reality is that it probably is unrealistic um, to expect any entity and any organization to provide the amount of money that it would take to provide paid audio description for every performance.
5: Gotcha.
0: All right. So before I open it up for questions, and if you are uh, out there with questions, please start putting those hands up. Um, can you talk a little bit about the etiquette of of submitting a resolution? Um, you know, especially if it has to do with a you know something um, that would affect
7: a committee or a special interest affiliate or even a state affiliate. Um, I I don't know that there. I don't know that there is any etiquette or at least I'm not understanding any that there would be. I mean, you, it, it is, it, it, it's perfectly acceptable for a resolution to be submitted that essentially says, um, uh, and, and there, and there have been resolutions like this that's that, you know, that says something about the leadership of the organization that, that we don't like and that we want to see change. And, you know, the, 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 the blindness community within the organization has the right to defeat it. Um, But, but if the resolution passes, there, there, I don't think there's a lot of etiquette that precludes us from writing resolutions that way. Um, I think most of the time folks are pretty, are pretty comfortable with, with their leaders and are much more inclined to support them than they are, than they are to attack them. Um, but you know there have been resolutions, for example, that have objected to the way we do certain things at convention, and those have sometimes resulted in some change.
0: So does the does the resolutions committee suggest that you have a conversation with whatever entity might be affected while presenting the resolution? <sighs>
7: Certainly, the resolutions committee. All if if a resolution impacts an affiliate or a special interest affiliate or something like that, we would always invite. Or, or certainly, when I was chair, and I think even now, we would always invite both sides to be there to talk about the issue, um, because we're we're not interested in in blindsiding and and and, you know, I I have always believed that. When, when you're debating resolutions even on the floor of a convention if there is an entity that has um, that has jurisdiction if you like over that area like that we we had four resolutions this year that that dealt with Braille and it's and it seems to me that that whoever is leading the organization should have made it a matter of practice to um, and the resolutions committee should have, too, um, to be certain that the Braille Revival League, which is a, the special interest affiliate within ACB that deals with Braille, had an, had, had an opportunity to be heard on the subject, on, on all four of the subjects of, of resolutions. Um, and that doesn't always happen, though I think it should.
0: I think we did a good job of, of a, you know, allowing for the membership to hear, talk, understand through all of the resolutions meetings leading up to up to convention. Um, it, it, is that is that a process that, you know, you think needs more needs to be more robust or do you think we got it right?
7: I, I think it's a. I think it's a process that still needs more work, and I'm not sure what the final solution is. Um, it, it, it. I think. I think what what I would like, what I would like to do is to probably arrange for the resolutions process to be handled, um, perhaps, um, perhaps entirely remotely. Um, and maybe even before before the convention. I mean, we, we have already made a rule that says our resolutions have to be in 60 days prior to the convention. And I think that's okay. I mean, any date's all right. Um, I, in the old days, I really liked the way that resolutions operated so that Um, So that folks actually had a chance to come to convention with resolutions and sit down with the committee in person to talk about their resolutions and typically we would put a deadline of um, somewhere in the middle of Monday night, usually midnight, uh, by which time all the resolutions that we were going to get would have been received but I don't have a problem with the with the 60 days, but if we're going to do the 60 days before, if we're going to hold the resolutions process the way we have for the last couple of years, then it seems to me that we ought to develop and implement a better ending to that process. Because essentially we accomplished nothing um, by all of the time that we spent on resolutions prior to the convention. And we ended up dealing with 90% of them after the convention was over. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and I, and I think one
0: thing we should definitely look into for next year is a little bit more education on the actual debate of resolution and what points, et
7: cetera, et cetera,
1: you know, yeah. what
0: they
7: actually mean and when you actually and, call
0: for yeah. a point of clarification. And, or-
7: and, we, and we certainly shouldn't count that time, and it's never been done anywhere else as part of the debate time. It's It's not. And and you just have to accept the fact that if you're going to allow those points of order and not and not simply say you're out of order because that's not a point of order and go away, which is what was the case in a lot of the cases last year, uh, and I'm I, I'm I'm not I'm not screaming at Dan or or necessarily the parliamentarian, but the, but the reality is that most of the things that were raised as points of order weren't, um, they yeah. were questions, and and they were and and. And when when are we going to say to our members, you have an opportunity during resolutions committee to sit in and listen to what these resolutions are about, to hear more than you ever want to know about why they're being proposed, about what's incorporated, about how they're being reworked, about how the resolutions committee works to make them better? Um, when do we say to our members that if you're not prepared to expend this time, maybe you, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to jump in and, and hold the process up once the resolutions committee has already made recommendations?
0: I think that's a pretty good idea.
7: Um, is there anything
0: presentation-wise that you want to, to say before we start opening it up for questions?
7: no just to reiterate that 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 it's it's my opinion and it's been my opinion almost ever since i've been involved in in fcb which i which i was for 7 years before i ever got involved in acb in a serious way that resolutions are the most important things we do because resolutions tell us who we are Tell us where we're going, they tell us how we need to get there. And and they create the priorities that ought to be at the very heart of the direction that the organization's taking. And people may find them boring and they may find them a little much to deal with. But remember that most of the policies that ACB currently has in place were developed and implemented as resolutions. Yeah.
0: All right. Sheila. Let's um, take a look and see what hands we have.
6: Okay. And Paul, you did have a compliment in the chat where they complimented you on the discussion and said thank you. So,
7: Oh, thank you.
8: Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Terry Suarez. Thank you for a great call. Um, So just a quick question. Um, Being a new member of two years, learning resolutions has been one of my biggest opportunities of improvement besides JAWS. Is there any future looking at developing a more modern method of helping draft, such as a Google form or something, for example, at Florida Council of the Blind, since we have an amazing president, an amazing resolution chairman. Um, so when we bring more members into the electric youth, oh, was that a pitch for electric youth? I um, hope so. <laughs> I hope so too um is you know if if we have a like I've been trying to look for like some kind of guidance um going to these presentations are very informative, but because I'm just still not grasping it because it's so different than other organizations that I've done advocacy, going to legislative actually um i I was wondering what the future in holds of modifying. And improving for our youth that we're getting ready to present can we do a google form and say here are the highlight points so that way we can improve the process
7: well i i, I don't think i would um and and the only reason that, that i wouldn't is because we're 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 either talking about a google form or we're talking about uh a, a resolution uh, but they're but, but in most respects, they're, they're two different things. I think there is really room to use a Google form as an intermediate stage um, in writing a resolution so that if, if you had a Google form that said reasons why on, on the top half and what do you want to do about it as, as part of the bottom half, that would help people to kind of um, brainstorm what they want the resolution to do. And then once they once they had the reasons why and the what do you want to do about it put together, they could then bring those to a resolutions committee. And, and, and they would be pretty close to having what 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 we'd need as a resolution because um, because that's what those two components would produce.
8: And thank you. I meant like the initial. So I did attend my Florida Council of the Blind Resolution Committee, because right. I have an idea for a resolution. But I did not feel that it was the right time to present the idea, because I don't know how to do the where at and that why and all the language. Um, but if I had a form, such as a Google form, and that's just an example where I submit it to the committee and then a committee member reaches back out and helps me draft a resolution, I think that would be a great mentoring tool for the future youth that we need to train. Because Paul, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be around much longer. So we got to train these teenagers how to do this.
3: You know, I'm
0: going to step in here for a minute um, because I, I have personal experience now. Um, one of the things that helped me was just reading resolutions, uh, you know, and kind of getting a feel for, for the two halves, et cetera, and, and letting the language, the whereas, um, you know, it it let it kind of permeate into my brain. And then I did get mentored, thankfully with, with Paul. So, um, I, I hear what you're saying and and I do think for the initial, but I, I think that's already happening. You know, we we need what we need to do is train the teens, so to speak, to actually ask for the, you know, for the mentoring, for the guidance. Um, Or we need to train ourselves to keep remembering to ask them, you know, hey, you know, what do you need? Or, hey, you know, do you you have ideas for resolutions? And
7: here's what we can do to help. At the national and at the state level, um, the resolutions committee puts out Uh, information in advance of our meetings i put out mine two weeks before the florida um, resolutions committee was going to meet and i indicated that i welcomed people reaching out to me with ideas for resolutions and what i said is i i'm not going to require you to have to have written a perfect resolution but if you have an idea for a resolution either send it to me or call me and we'll talk about it and we'll see what we can do um, it's it's always been my view um, that if if the idea for a resolution is worthwhile we can we can take ideas really, no matter how scattered they are and turn them into a valid resolution as long as the maker of that resolution, that is as long as the person whose ideas they are is comfortable with what it turns into uh, and and that's that's the point. Terry, you have to have an idea a of what you want to do, and B, you have to be prepared to enter into the negotiation process. Um, the difficulty with so many of our members is is that they choose to sit back and expect that somebody else is gonna do all the work and that all the resolutions that need to be developed will be developed by the resolutions committees. That that essentially is, is simply is simply avoiding your responsibility as a member with a good idea.
6: All right. Your next hand is Starry.
7: All right. Hey, Ms. Williams.
9: Hello, Mr. Edwards.
7: (laughs) (laughs) So
0: formal on Sunday, just (laughs) go.
9: I don't quite understand where and to whom resolutions are sent to. I understand a lot about how they're written and what they're for, but where do they actually go and to whom and why? And is this a company thing or an organization thing? Is it particularly to certain organizations?
7: <laughs> no, it, it really depends on the resolution. So uh, it, when, when you're writing resolutions, it, if you have to make a determination, it, it ought to be a part of every resolutions committee's process to determine where they ought to go. And if the resolutions committee doesn't make that determination, then it's up to the leadership of the organization who receives the resolutions to decide what's supposed to happen with them. Um, Because uh, I mean, writing a resolution and taking the time to to make it as good as you can make it. And then just having it sit there is, is kind of sad.
9: Well, my question was actually, who
7: writes the okay. resolutions? Stop talking! Stop talking! We as members write yeah, them. Yeah, typically. typically members propose them, and resolutions committees either at the state level or at the national level or in the special interest affiliate level. I mean, both BRL and LUA has had resolutions committees that have written resolutions, and 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 I think um, I think. Um, uh anthony your organization has as well yeah 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 we've done resolutions two years
0: in a row and and yeah we're looking at things for next year as well
7: yeah okay so
9: there's like a lot of different resolution committees and different groups there
7: are there okay. are
9: okay thank you you're welcome that's the only hand
6: you have right now
0: Ta-da. oh well miss sheila do you have any questions
6: No, I learned so much last weekend that I pretty much understood him after his presentation last weekend. So I just think that more people need to pay attention to what these resolutions say and understand, you know, as far as I was concerned, a lot of the point of orders were discussing the resolution during national. And I was like, okay, that's really just discussing the resolution. It's not a point of order, so you're wasting time (laughs) with the point of order. And I think people need to understand the difference between point of orders and clarification. And I I think that's where we're lacking in our uh, trying to make resolutions more clear to our members.
7: And I think we're also in a transitional period, and I'm not sure where we're going to end up, between um, in-person ACB meetings and in-person FCB meetings and hybrid ones um, and remote ones. So... uh, Sheila and I, in fact, were sitting next to each other um, during the consideration of the few resolutions that got handled on on the last Thursday of the ACB convention. Um, and and we were, we were at a place where a microphone was relatively close to where we were. So if either of us wanted to say something, we could get to that microphone pretty quickly and we could speak loud enough that we would be heard. When, when the in-person part of the resolutions process turned into an entirely remote part, um, all of the who got picked Exercise um, became uh, the responsibility of whoever was looking at at the at the list of raised hands. Um, it didn't seem to matter. How many times I raised my hands on, on Monday, um, even though at that point I was president of BRL, and even though at that point there were a number of resolutions concerning Braille that were being discussed, I was never recognized. And I'm not saying that people should have recognized me, but I'm saying that the process um, especially this year was very different, and we're. I think we're going to have to work out some very specific changes that will recognize um, that the that the resolutions process is um, is r- going to be remote if it is. Um, so I think that for 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 instance. W- What I hope will happen is that there will be a specific email address or message point at which points of order can be registered. Um, And if the parliamentarian determines that they're appropriate, then it seems to me that whoever is chairing that meeting would interrupt and say a point of order has been raised by so-and-so. Would you please go ahead, sir uh, or madam? Um, I think sort that, of like Janet does during the big board meeting. She's sort of that point of contact for that's questions. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And I and I think the same thing, the same thing needs to happen um, in in terms of creating a message point that says, "Hey, um, I'm the president of the Braille Revival League, and I think I deserve to, to to have the opportunity to comment on resolutions that relate to Braille. These are the numbers. Um, please, uh, please." please recognize the special interest affiliate that is responsible for this particular area. And again, I think there there needs to be a place where those messages can be delivered and the leadership needs to take account of them, not because it's me who's president, but because I think it's important that special interest and state affiliates have the opportunity to be involved if, in fact, that's where resolutions have come from. You know, one of the places where resolutions come from is from Florida and from California who operate pretty robust resolutions committees every year.
6: story has got to be raised again, Paul.
7: Yeah. Cool. Hey, Miss Starry.
9: Hello, Mr. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is, in terms of remote voting and remote resolution presentation, I was a senator at university for a hot second. And what they did was when they needed the membership to vote on something, because we had such a limited amount of time in person, they presented documentation to give clarity on the things that would be voted on so that when we came in person, there would hopefully questions, better understanding and we could get on to the voting more easily and the process would be easier. So my question is, what do you think about that as uh, presenting resolutions and documentation for clarity and if you would do uh, remote polling as a form of voting? Because we try to implement that too.
7: Um, I, I, I think the, the difficulty about doing remote voting in a blindness organization is that um, there, there is a pretty huge cost involved. Um, if if you wanted to do, um, if if you wanted to, to put a whole bunch of resolutions together on what's called a consent calendar and send that out and people could either vote for it or vote against it, um, I, I could probably live with that. Um, The Resolutions Committee um, at the ACB level um, made resolutions available um, both before their meetings, during their meetings, and after their meetings for folks to to, to read. And that was never an issue. And more importantly... um, And they were translated into Spanish, they were available in English and in Spanish prior to their being considered on the floor as well. Um, I don't think the method that was used um, to disseminate them was perfect in that they were sent out as individual resolutions. I think it would would have been better to gather them all into a single file and send them out because they still would have been tiny, especially if if they had if they had converted the word files into a text file it would be it would have it would never have overfilled anybody's anybody's inbox and people would have been able to read them pretty easily so um the answer story is it seems to me sure you you should let people get an opportunity to take a look at, at the written stuff in advance they already have opportunity to be a part of of what are generally Generally, 12, 14, maybe even 16 um, resolutions committee meetings that last anywhere from two to four hours a- every time. So there's lots of opportunity to be part of the process.
6: Anthony, you have about three minutes, dear.
7: Are there any more hands?
6: No. Mm-mm.
0: You know, I, I think um, the opportunity for the membership to understand the resolutions was definitely there. Um, the information to get to those meetings and, and, and trying to squeeze in with all the other committee meetings and other chapters, you know, all, just life is so busy, prevented. Um, I wonder <coughs> if it would behoove us to have, like, a resolutions review meeting
7: before convention starts. I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that um, I, I, and and we could even have more than one. I mean i if 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 I had my druthers, I would probably pass a resolution that essentially said that that after all the resolu- after the resolutions had gone through the whole committee process, uh, another meeting would be held where where um, people would have an opportunity. Uh, to actually vote on the resolutions by at least a show of hands, we wouldn't have affiliate voting. But once once uh, once that that voting had happened, uh, it seems to me you send them forward to. Uh, the convention with a clear indication that membership have already had an opportunity to look at this so do we want to leave it the same and i would and i would incorporate um what what the voting results are because they're generally going to be you know sort of 222 to three Um, and and if that's and if that's the case perhaps it would persuade our folks to essentially say you know, we've already had a chance to vote on these things. We've had a chance to to, to exercise a democratic process. We don't need to. We, we don't we don't need to debate this anymore. We've we've got a clear indication of how our members feel. Let's just let's just go ahead and support this and go on. Some well,
0: it, uh, this has been pretty darn awesome. Um, you want to give us a preview of Tuesday
7: topics before we leave? I do. It's um, we're going to be doing two things. In the first hour, we're going to be talking about um, what the impact of advertising is on folks who are blind, which is which is an interesting topic because for the first time over the past ten years or so, there have been a few blind folks who've made their way into advertisements, and there have been a few companies that have chosen to provide uh, audio description in advertising. Though that's yeah. pretty pretty rare still and then the second hour we're actually going to be uh inviting members of the the mentoring committee that has set up this uh this mentoring program the maps p program um to report on the implementation process how they're doing and what they're finding out
0: awesome looking forward to it We will be back next Sunday with another great Sunday edition and um, stay tuned because we will also be covering the audio description gala and producing a one hour lead up special to the gala. So it's going to be a busy November. Uh, Keep looking at those lists and sometime in November, the Sunday edition website will go live. Anyway, thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Byron. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you, Teresa. And of course, thank you, Mr. Edwards. (laughs) Have a great week. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media, Stream One. That's American Council of Divine Media, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays, and you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.